Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Uh, this week I have got Jim Rock on uh, to chat to me about his career. Um, Jim's a boxer that I've tried for a while to get on the podcast. Um, it just hadn't, hadn't happened up to this point and I was delighted when uh, he was available to give me some of his time. Um, yeah, we uh, spent a couple of hours together, which was a lot more than I thought um, that we'd maybe have and it was fantastic chatting to him about the entire career um, in and out of the ring, um, as you're going to hear in the podcast. Jim's life outside of the ring has been a bit chaotic at times and some stories about, you know, growing up and, you know, spending some time in prison and, you know, stabbings and, you know, a lot of sort of things I maybe wasn't aware of, but it was amazing to hear the story um, of how then obviously that uh, transcended into his boxing career, which uh, obviously for anyone that knows Jim's career, he's been extremely successful um, as an amateur, first of all, winning Irish titles and then as a professional, uh, having an amazing uh, career, especially in Ireland, winning four professional titles um, in Ireland at four different weights so yeah it was fantastic to chat to him and what I'm going to do is put it out in two parts so part one is going to focus on his amateur career and then how he got into the pro game um, and it's going to sort of lead up to those championship fights that he's going to have so yeah amazing story guys and I really hope you enjoy part one so listen Jim first of all thank you so much for giving me your time this, I've been sort of pestering you a wee bit over the last year to do this so I'm so glad I finally got you on the podcast so what I always like to do, Jim, with the guests is sort of go right back to the start and to sort of yeah. find a wee bit about your upbringing and what actually got you started in boxing in the first place. All right. Um, well, I'm from a family of 13 children, you know. Um, so I think when I was six years of age, my eldest brother, he was boxing in Drimna Boxing Club because we lived in Drimna. And um, I was always like, I, even at that age, I was always fighting after school and bloody blah, blah and I was always a little bit of a, a little fucking terror I suppose um, so it, it was inevitable that I was going to go and, and box so I was the second in the family to box okay. um, I, I went down on a Sunday morning to Drimna Boxing Club I joined on the Sunday sparred on the Sunday probably got bashed um, fought, I trained on the Monday fought on the Wednesday four days <laughs> yep, after having two, got beaten, trained again on the Friday and fought again on the Sunday. I had two fights in my first week. And that oh, was the way know. it was. That was the way it was back then, you know? Yeah. And I had you to never take get that now. No, you wouldn't. Should I? They'd be training now for two years and they're still <laughs> not ready to go for a fight. I mean, like I said, I was six. And like, I'd had loads of fights after, like in Drimna, we always had a fight every day after school. Like you had a fight. I mean, everyone went down to this sort of um, where, where the there was a kiosk, um, behind our school was um, Our Lady of Good Counsel Church, and then in front of that was a, a big roundabout on Morn Road, and there was a kiosk there run by a blind man, and we used to just have fights in behind the kiosk in the field, and I mean, like it was just you just always had a scrap. That was it. And I loved fighting. So, like, it was inevitable I was going to box. Yeah. So, as I was about to say, so when you went in, you had your first spar, maybe didn't go great. You lost your first fight, but that didn't phase you. You just, you were raring to go again. Oh, I didn't care. I mean, look at So, look at I was used to get beaten. I mean, right. my dad beat me for years. My brothers, my older brothers all beat me. And then I would have beaten my younger brothers. I mean, it was just the way it was. We just always, like, I mean, like, if, if the older brother got into trouble and the dad gave him a clatter, so when the dad turned his back, he'd give the next one a clatter because he got a clatter 
and it worked its way down. So we all killing each other in the house, you know? <laughs> right. And so at what stage then, I mean, did you think that you had a talent for the boxing after a while? You know what I mean? Obviously, you were just maybe there for releasing aggression and stuff, but did you then finally start thinking, you know, I could be quite good at this? When did that sort of start? Oh, I don't know. I Probably when I was about maybe. Although I won my first Irish title when I was 11. Oh, really? But, okay. Yeah, so I won the Irish title when I was 11. I won another one 12. One another one was 13. 14, there was no weight division for me. Um, even though I was only at about 71 kilos, but there was no weight division then. So the next week, I fought a fella who was a year older than me and was a year... He was a year older and a way heavier. He just won the All-Irelands and he was Irish champion. So I fought him a week later, like, and I bet him. So, like, that was I, in my head. I was saying, well, I was, I, listen, I definitely would have won the All Irelands because he's a year older than me, you yeah. know? Um, but I mean, I never, uh, I never thought about going pro or anything like that. You know, I never yeah. had an ambition to go pro when I was young. Um, I remember when I joined St. Saviour's Boxing Club and the great John McCormick, he was yeah. training. And I remember one time I had this spar against a fella now. He's a cup man now. You often see him. He does the like does the MMA. David Kavanagh. He's a cup man. I had an exhibition. Or no, I had a, a spar with David Kavanagh on a Sunday morning. Now David Kavanagh was two years older than me, and he was always a very good boxer, real classy and real good looking. The sort of fellow you didn't like right. <laughs> because all the boards liked him and all that. You know, <laughs> growing up. So I remember I went out and he's real stylish, and he he boxed the head off me in the fourth round. Now I have to say he he banjoed me. No, he just. Of course, I was just plodding along. So then went out for the second round. First half of the second round was a repeat of the fourth round. But then I started getting to him. Yeah. The end of the second round, get him. Third round, boom, beaten. Oh, bother. And I remember after the spar, the trainer, John McCormick, says, he's just called me Rocky. That's all he was calling me, Rocky. He says, that was great, Rocky. He says, it's the pro game. He said, for you. He said, that's where you want to be. And that was the first time anyone had ever said that to me about pro or anything like that. Now, although I didn't go pro for another seven years, but I mean, he was the first person who had ever mentioned that to me. And he must have just saw that, Your style. you know, that the earlier rounds were, you know, were no good to me. And that, you know, as time went on, I was durable, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and the pro game might suit me. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And so, listen, I was when I was looking at your record, um, you, as a junior, and it, I think you won like an Irish junior title as well as you started moving up. Is that right? Yeah, that was the, it was called the intermediate. So I ah, think, yes, yeah, of was, course. It was the under 25s or something like that. So I won that. I think I beat um, Stephen Kirk in that. Oh, right. Okay. God, that's a good one on the record. Yeah. Yeah. So Very I good think fighter. I. I'd say I was the sort of the last Irish person to beat Stephen Kirk. I bet Stephen Kirk, and then the next year, that was at middleweight, and then the next year he moved up, I think, to light heavyweight, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden Stephen Kirk became a sort of a a phenomenon as such. He did, you know? yeah. Um, I, I did the podcast with him, Jim, and I couldn't believe that when I did it that he had never won an Irish title until he won the Irish seniors. His right. his first Irish title was the Irish seniors. You know, he sort of. It came quite late for him, and then obviously he went on to win the world broadcast. Oh, yeah, because I, I must have beaten him the year before that or something like yeah. that. But uh, I mean, like, tough fella, tall. But I mean, like, me, when I would have went out to fight fellas, so when I fought Stephen Kirk for his, like, he was tall and skinny, blah, blah. So I'd have just looked at him automatically and just said, <laughs> I'll be him. 
Okay. You know, whereas like if he had been small and muscular, <laughs> you know, you would have been saying, oh, this fucker is going to give me a hard fight here. Yeah. But I mean, like, like that was just, I don't know, like probably I was just lucky to get him before he sort of excelled because mm -hmm. then he just started knocking people out left, right and centre with his left yeah. hook. And like, it just goes to show you that some people, like, they just reach some sort of crossroads and all of a sudden they believe in themselves and all of a sudden, you know, they've always had the ability in them, but it just takes something to bring it out in them. Absolutely, and I don't know yeah. what happened with Stephen Kirk, but boy, Jesus, he turned into an absolute smasher. So like, I'm delighted that I fought him before he reached Not that before. stage. Yeah, of course, yeah. You know, I mean, great all... fella, lovely fella. Like, and, and, yeah, absolutely nice. gentleman. Yeah, he really, very, very nice guy. Yeah, yeah. And when I looked as well, um, once you then moved up to senior, um, uh, you you came across was it Brian McGee, Dennis Galvin, really good seasoned seniors as well. Yeah, I fought Dennis Galvin first, uh, semi finals again, and everyone was just saying, "Are you going to fight him?" I think I was, I don't know what year that was. I think it was about 90, 91. So I think it was nineteen. I said, "You going to fight him?" And I said, "Yeah." You know, to me, like, you know, like I was the real sort of, I would have been out fighting on the streets and all. So I would have been sort of, a, would have been termed then as a bit of a hard man, you know, yeah. that sort of way. And um, I said, yeah, fucking, he's only a culture. That's what I would have been saying. <laughs> he's from the culture. He won't be knocking me out. So I went out, but I know I had, I had an injury um, at the time. And I, I forget what happened to get When I went out to Galvin fight, either, Something went wrong anyway, whether it was I couldn't throw me right or me left or something like that. I don't know what it was. But anyway, I just thought of what, like, I never thought he punched hard or anything like that. He hit me with mm. some shots, but I mean, they didn't bother me or anything like that. No. But uh, but he bet me. So then I fought McGee. So I fought McGee twice. So mm. I went to I went to Belfast in probably, I don't know, 1990, 91. And I fought Brian McGee on his home show, which was in the, the Fruit Hill. It was on the Antitown Road. Yeah, and I, I remember I fought him and went out for the fourth round. Boom, we done it. Next of all, the bell went, stopped the round. I dropped my hands, and next of all, he hits me three digs one, two, three after the bell. After the bell, it's clear. And I mean, the crowd just went, Oh, you know what I mean? And I just stood there and looked at him like that, like, say, Right, I'm gonna fucking get you now. But anyway, he won that fight, so there was no bother. Um, but then we fought in the seniors, and uh, you know, again. He beat me 9-7. Now, yeah, Brian McGee was a little golden child, mm -hmm. you know, at that time. And Holy Trinity, they were like, you know, one of these clubs that, you know, uh, I think if, uh, if if the fight had, if you won two rounds and they won one round, they'd have got the fight. Right, you okay, that's how you felt, um, okay. So, I mean, like, he beat me 9-7 and I mean, like, I always say, and I don't really care about it at this stage, but like, there's no way he beat me. Yeah. He got the decision and fair play to him, but he went on to do great things. So, I mean, like, you know, that was back then. You know what I mean? Again, Brian's style was great for the amateur boxing. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, he was he, he, a much better boxer than I ever was. I was just a sort of a, a, a brawler. Yeah. You know, and it's only then when I, I suppose, when I went to Belfast under John Breen, he sort of got me to, uh, he, he taught me to box a bit more and use my head a bit more and yeah, move my head. As a, yeah. yeah, as opposed to going in and just thinking you could... Uh, it wasn't that I could blast people out because I wasn't a huge puncher or anything like that. But I mean, like, 
I was fairly relentless, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that was just sort of my style. Um, but I know when I when I went to Belfast, I mean, like wherever thoughts or illusions I had of being a bit a tough guy and going in and sparring, I think I was sparring Cristiano España, Yarda, uh, Ray Close. I mean, like, and I thought, well, I'll go in. I mean, they just played with me. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So how does that come about then? So, I mean, that was, I suppose, after you could beat by Brian McGee and the seniors, was that the end of the amateur career around that time then? Um, well, you see, I was, uh, at the time, like I said, I was a bit of a, you know, I, I was a street trader in Henry Street and I was getting into bits of butter. Okay. So the the IABA, they didn't sort of, uh, they didn't like me. That was just the long and the short of it. Okay. I mean, I remember one time I was fighting in the All-Irelands and it might have been the one with, it was maybe the All Ireland before I fought uh, Big Stephen. Um, all the champions were going away to America, mm-hmm. so I won the semis. Then I won the final, and then they sent the fella. They sent every single champion except for me, and they sent the fella that that I bet in the semis instead. You know, oh, so right. I mean, like, yeah, there's something um, up there. Ah, look at you know, like, like. I thought a face didn't fit with them and it didn't help the fact that like if I knew that let's say one of them had said something about me you know probably one of them said something because I got into trouble or was arrested or something like that well then so I'd when I'd see them I'd call them you know I'd probably say well you you old fuck you you mind your own business or you know what <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. I mean I didn't sort of like say, oh, I wonder why he doesn't like me. I'd say, hey, you, what are you fucking saying about me? You know? Well, if you, if you think something, if you're not being fairly treated, you're, you're going to say something about it, I suppose. Yeah. No, but I mean, like, I've never been one to sort of hold me tongue. If I've something to say, I say it. Now, whether whether people like that or not at the time, but at least, as I always say, at least I'm being honest about what I think. Mm-hmm. Now, and what I think, I mean, like, it may not always be right. But to me at the time, at that time, if I think it's right, I'll say it. Yeah. You know, and sometimes sometimes it can turn out that that you shouldn't say it at all. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because, I suppose, yeah. Because because it could turn out that you're not right. Yeah, of course. But, but then at the but time. But again, but like I'd rather be I'd rather like I'd rather say what I feel. And like I don't really give a shit about the consequences. Um I never have. And still to this day, I'm still I'm a bit more diplomatic about it now. <laughs> You've mellowed a wee but, bit about it, yeah. Yeah, I've mellowed a wee bit, yeah. But <laughs> I mean, I I would still always, I would still always say what I say what I think, and, and, yeah, and that's I see, it. I don't think that's a bad thing too. As I say, there's a certain point that no, I think speaking your mind, especially if you think you're there's a bit of injustice there, you know, as you would have back then, you have to say yeah. something. Like I always say, like I'd rather people dislike me for who I am rather than like me for someone I'm not. That's very good. That's that's a good way of putting it, Jim. Very good. You know, so... Yeah, that's... no, very good. So listen, before we get into the pro career, you know, you were saying, obviously, outside of the, out in the streets and stuff, is it fair to say that there was a period where you were getting into a wee bit of trouble, you know, while you were still an amateur and before that pro game? Well, it was. So I, I moved down my family home when I was 16 years of age. So, um... I had my dad was fairly strict. Now we had thirteen children, so we had to be fairly strict, I suppose. Um, but he was—I thought he was a bit too strict in some ways. So at the age of sixteen, I had a bit of a, a pain in the arse with it. So I just left the house and I got myself um a bedsit down the North Circular Road, and um 
I was going out with a girl and that, and I had a job and blah, blah, blah. So hence then, um, the girl got pregnant. Um, don't know how that happened, but it happened anyway. And her, her brother-in-law was my boss. Okay. So, um, and then I was a bit of a jack the lad and probably with a couple of different boards here and there, as you do, oh, because... because Sometimes when you're a boxer, it goes hand in hand. I don't know why, but yeah, it does. They're like so a bad boy, maybe. Yeah, so I lost my job. <laughs> so I ended up becoming a street trader on Henry Street. So Henry Street was the main thoroughfare, let's say, in Dublin, and yeah. you'd sell like I used to sell sports socks out of my hand and cigarette lighters and that sort of thing. So like every day, you'd sort of you'd make it. I don't know. You'd make about fifteen or twenty quid a day doing that. And then on a Saturday, you'd probably make double that because that was the busy day in town. So you'd make that, which was which was an honest enough living, you know. But again, it's illegal because you're a street trader. And you don't have a license. So you'd be getting into trouble off the cops and all that. And um, and then you'd be like, you'd be in town. So, of course, everyone congregates in town. So, you know, you'd be, you'd be, um, buying stuff off shoplifters and selling it all and making a few quid. But inevitably, you get into, and then I got into trouble for fighting them. We'd all congregate in the city centre in the in the nighttime, and there'd be gangs of us. And there'd be all gangs from different areas. You know, there'd be gangs from Ballyfermot, gangs from Clondalkin, gangs from Tallaght, gangs from Pier Street, gangs from Ringsend. And the way we'd do it is, like, we'd go around town and let's say there was a gang, let's say a new gang come in from... Halle. Well, we would just go see them. It was quite obvious who was the leader of their gang. So you just go and you'd have a straightener with them. Right. So it's safe you having to it's safe you having to sort of uh it's safe you having to fight them all. So you just fight the one who's the best. And, th- and that's what we done. So every you know, we just fought every night on the street. Crazy, like <laughs> it um, sounds crazy to me, but yeah. yeah, but it was you know, back then there was no knives, there was no guns. Um, yeah, that was when I was sort of 16, 17. I mean, I mean, I think I think I was stabbed once when I was in town in, in a fight. Do you know what I mean? Um, I got stabbed in the back. But I mean, apart from that, I mean, the, the worst that ever happened is someone that you know, you might get a someone smacks your glass over your head or hit you with a bar or something like that. But, you, you make, uh, you're saying that's so casual. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you might get the odd that sounds uh, yeah, scurry stuff. Like, I listen, it is. I mean, like, that's back then, and then, like, I think. Like when I got to twenty one, then like like I was doing a door in town or doing a door in Blanchardstown, and then I threw out somebody I just got, and I ended up getting they shot me in the two legs the when I left. Them. Yeah, right. You know, so I mean, like, like if there was if there was ever something going to happen to someone, I was always <laughs> always going to happen to me. You know, it's like you down south and Eamon up north. It's like the two sort of the bookies obviously became training partners, but this sounds like my uncle Eamon too. You know, sort of trouble. Yeah, time. yeah, yeah. I, I always say he's a, he's different different to me, but we yeah. we had we had the same sort of things happen to us and so on and so forth. But uh, sometimes for different reasons. Yeah, you know course, what I mean. Yeah, yeah, of course. But I mean, like, uh, 
I mean, as I say, he only got shot once in the leg. You know, I got right, two okay. legs. You know what I mean? <laughs> you ate that him on that one then. Ah, there you go. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. So listen, so yeah, if we then bring it back, I suppose, to the boxing. So you're an amateur boxer, you're you're trading and you're you're earning a few quid and getting in a wee bit of trouble. So the transition to become a professional boxer then, you talked earlier about going up to John Breen's gym. What was the reason that you decided that the pro game was for you? Was there you'd said your amateur coach had mentioned years earlier that you thought you had that style, but did something happen that made you think the pro game's for me? No, I think like I was in Dublin, and like I said, I was as I said earlier on, I was a street trader, let's say. So I ended up getting them um, as well as fighting all the time, I end up fighting with the likes of the security guards on Henry Street and that. So what happened was I end up getting um I got charged with assaulting one, either one or two, I think a security guard in Roach's doors and another one in, in the Oilex Centre. So they got this petition signed by all the security guards. So I got brought to court and I got six months in prison um, for assault. So I appealed it and I think I got out after a month or something like that. And what they done, what the judge said was, I wasn't allowed to set foot on Henry Street, Mary Street, or the Oilex Centre for a period of two and a half years. And right. every and if I set foot on them and they caught me, every time they caught me, I get 14 days in prison. So right. hence yeah. that ended me uh me street trading days. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I sort of said, Jeez, well, I better try and get a job. So I fluted about with a few different jobs and um but then Joe Egan, at the time, was professional. Um, he was a doorman in the city centre and he was a doorman in the nightclubs in Dublin. So I used to see him and he said, why don't you go pro and blah, blah. And I went up to um, um, Eastwood's gym and um, I think at the time I was, I was sparring once or twice with Croissant to Espana who just played with me. You know, like just... Unbelievable fighter. Unbelievable. Um. But I was meant to have my pro debut in 1993 in the National Stadium. Um, I think Steve Collins was fighting against Danny Morgan. Mm -hmm. um, and But, you know, I was never consistent enough. I never stuck to the training and blah, blah, blah. So it, it didn't come off. But I also, I, 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 the sort of, the idea was rooted in my head. Just, I wasn't ready for it, realistically. Okay. You know, I wasn't ready for the move. Because um, I had too much going on with, you know, I just bought my first house, I think, when I was 21. So I was sort of, you know, I had to pay for a mortgage. I think I think by that stage, I had three or four kids. So, I mean, right. I, okay. um, you know, there was just loads of things that sort of yeah. kept me, kept me down the south. So, hence then move on two years later. And we went up, I went up to, uh, Joe Egan had a house up in Crumlin at the time. And we went up to his house for dinner and John Breen was there and Mike Callahan and his wife Sheila was there. Okay. And so from there, uh, introduced to Mike and he said, yeah, I'll take you on as a pro and blah, blah. And just such a, such a, a lovely man. Yeah. He just had a, he had a way about him. And uh, so that was why, that's when I decided that I'd, uh, I turned pro and came back down to Dublin sorted out a few things and moved to Belfast and um, moved into a house on the Antrim Road, Atlantic okay. Avenue, uh, Fra McCullough. Okay, yes, right. 
Brian McCullough owned the house and I got a room in that house. I got the downstairs of it. And uh, like, so I have to say, like, big shout out to Fran McCullough. He sort of helped me on my way when I moved up there, you know. So um, you need a wee bit of help at the start, don't you? You know, we, oh, we things like that. Yeah, so like Joe knew the score up there. So Joe introduced me to Fra, so I got the house. John Breen got me a job doing the doors. So like you, you got a few quid, yeah. um, you know, to, just to pay for your incidentals, like your, you know, your bit of rent, your food, so on and so forth. And then I was tinkering about with cars at the time. So up to the auctions when I wasn't doing that and buy the odd car, send it down to Dublin, get it sold. So you're always sort of... Yeah, but you always, so you always had yourself, like you were boxing, but you always had that wee bit in the side. Obviously, you were earning a few quid and with the cars and stuff. You always, you were a bit of a, that wee entrepreneur type of... Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, like, like when I was 23, I think I, I, I owned, I had three houses in Dublin, you know, which was Fair like... Place. yeah. It, you were obviously very yeah. good at what you were doing. Like, it was just purely... It was purely by accident. So I was 21 and I was renting a house and I met this fella and who I knew and he says to me, Jim, do you want to buy a house? I said, yeah. I said, I'm on the dole. I said, I've no fucking job. <laughs> I said, and he says, no, listen, he says, he says, I'll sort of you. He said, I'll get you your mortgage. He says, this is my father's house. He says, and if you buy that house, he says, he's going to give me 10 grand out of that money so I can buy this house here and I'm going to let him live with me. You know what I mean? So, no, so, right. the, yeah. I said, right. so so he ended up getting me the mortgage. I ended up buying the house. And then I only had the house, say, about six months and the house got broke into. And next of all, so um, the house got broke into. I found out then there was an insurance policy which I never knew I had. Right. You know, because when you bought when you take out a mortgage, the mortgage company make you insure the house because if nothing happens to it, yeah. they want to make sure that they're so we had it insured. So with an insurance policy, everything is new for old. Even though I mm -hmm. put all second hand furniture in the house and all that, because I didn't have much money, they paid for all new stuff. So they gave me I, I think about six and a half grand or something on the insurance. So I went and bought another house. <laughs> you just left all the secondhand stuff. You didn't just oh no, I just got I, I got more secondhand stuff again. Yeah. But got the money, bought me second house, you know. And then I just said, Jeez, this is looking fairly easy, this. So I just then decided, right, tell you what I'll do. I'll rent out them two houses. So I just rented them out and I bought a different house then. That exactly. I lived in myself, you know, and, and oh. that was it. And and again, like when I went to Belfast, then I couldn't believe the prices of houses up there. Was it cheaper up in Belfast? Oh, yes. Because obviously the troubles were still. Yeah, and there was, and then there was all these houses in Belfast that were um, that were sort of derelict. Yeah, and you could buy them, and the government gave you the money to do them up. Right, and then you could sell them twelve months later. Your eyes lit up. I said, "Jeez, this is great." Yeah. I said, "This is like this is money for all rope." You all know, right, very fair play, so, yeah, very good. I mean, like it's it's not um as I always say, it's not it's not that you're clever. It's just that if you're listening to people around you, like Fran McCullough had loads of houses, and there was another fella that I used to be upward up there, and he had loads of houses, and they were all saying to me, "No, listen, get the house here, rent it there, bloody blah, blah," and, and you know, and so, but again, you have to take chances. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it, it could all. I mean, like, look, we've all had it in the in the price bubble down here, yeah, and the, yeah, the price crash and all that. You know, 
I mean, I remember, I remember in one of the price crashes that we had here in Dublin. I think at one stage I had something like I had about six million worth of property, yeah. and I owed about two million to the banks, right. which was nice. It was no bother. But then the crash happened, but I still owed two million. Right. But the property was only valued at one million. Six million went way down to one million. Oh, so I mean, like, and that's when loads of people go bang. And yeah. you know, but that was I mean, like, like the Celtic people... Tiger they used to talk about, remember? And then it yeah, all, it was the Celtic all... Tiger, yeah. So, I mean, like, but I mean, like, you know, you just have to sort of work through these things and you have to keep grafting. And, um, I mean, those who stick through it and you know, take the good with the bad, you know, you, you'll come out better, yeah, on, on the other side, you know, yeah. So, with professional boxing, because a lot of people, my, my dad included and stuff, professional boxing was that that's about making money. That's like, oh, yes, you want to win titles and stuff, but it's also a way of earning a living. For you, when you turned professional, was it for the actual you wanted to go and win things? And, you know, you would have been in a position where maybe you, you know, you had other things going on outside, but obviously you boxed when it was like 14, 15 years as a pro. You know, you didn't have to maybe do that, but you, you obviously loved the boxing as a professional once you get into it. I did, yeah. So I mean, to me, be a professional boxer back then was just like it was an honor. Yeah. You know, it was just it was like because I was, let's say, from a big family and because I'd got into bits of trouble and so on and so forth, like like I mean, like I left school when I was say 14, going on 15. So I mean, like, it's not as if I was an academic. Or I had all these degrees or letters after my name. So to become a professional boxer, like to me, it was something. Mm-hmm. To me, it was like a, like I'm a professional. I remember I used to look at Joe Egan and uh, I used to see him coming down Henry Street, like and he'd be walking there and he'd walk down the center of the street, you know. And Joe was a big fella, the blonde hair, and he did a big thing, and he'd have a board hanging out of each arm and all that. And I mean, like I used to just think that like it was the nearest thing you could see to an old star. Yeah. He, when Joe come back from America, like, and uh, so I mean, like, for me, it was, it was like, yeah, accomplished something, you mm-hmm. know, and it was never, ever, ever about money. The professional boxing for me, when I turned pro, me and Eamon had our first fights on the 25th of November in yes. the Point Depot. So we stayed in the Salogan Park Hotel on this, it's only couple of miles from me garage here where I'm sitting now but it there was a fight on the telly on Eurosport and okay. it was a fella called Steve Foster yes, so Steve the Viking. the Viking that's right so, yeah. so I was watching him he was fighting against some French fella and he got this belt he fought for an intercontinental title either WBU WBO or IBF or something like that but I remember looking and I said look at that belt if I could get a belt so that's all I ever wanted I said, if I can get a belt, like I'd be made. That'd be me. Yeah. Like I'd be just happy. So that's all I ever wanted. I didn't give a shit about the money. Brilliant. No, yeah, that's it. That's what it's about. It's the glory and that's uh, amazing. And we'll obviously go through the career and you got quite a few belts, Jim. So it's great um, that obviously what you set out to do, you you more than you more than did that, obviously. Oh, that's it, you know. And and, and there's so many people, like there's loads of people turn pro and like from the start, all they want to, you know, well, I'm going to win a world title. And like, you listen to them and you're saying to yourself, like, it's no way you're gonna fuck them in a world title. Really? Yeah. But everyone says I mean, yeah, so 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 loads of them go on and say, I'm gonna do this and like like I never said any of that ever in my life. 
But I did say, like, if I could get a belt, I would get it. Yeah. That's that's all I ever wanted. Brilliant. And so in the gym itself, I suppose that you, you and Eamon were starting in 95. That was kind of coming towards the end of the Barney Eastwood stable that he would have had with Crisanto and obviously Ray Close, Sam Story, Dave McCauley, all that. Um, but you came in the back end of that. So obviously you'd you said you'd sparred with Crisanto and Ray Close and my dad and stuff. So was that was it good having that bit of time when the gym was a bit full with those sort of past champions and then obviously you and Eamon were coming through after that? Yeah, no, listen, it was great. It was great. And it was a great like it was a great learning curve. You know, getting in the ring with them like I remember when I went to Belfast, let's say for a period when I started Pro Force, and I was up there for about a two month period. Now, in that two month period, I would have been sparred in, let's say, Crisanto, your dad, Ray Close, Ray Kane, let's say. And every day, even though they were taking it easy on me, they still would have bothered me. Like, because they were just far better than me. So, Every day I'd go up and I'd quit the train, you know, and I'd go in. You'd, you could never see yourself getting better because if you were getting better, they were just up a gear themselves because they were taking it easy on you realistically. So as you were getting better, they only had to go up a gear. And so they were always that bit ahead of you. So you could, you couldn't, like, I didn't think I was getting any better. I said, Jesus, you know, like every day you're getting a few clatters and you're coming out with a black yeah. eye or something. I said, but then, I was up there for about a two-month period of training and then I came down to my old amateur club and I got in sparring. So I got in sparring with the likes of Dan Curran who was uh, he was an Irish international in that yeah. and um, there was someone else I forget who it was but I sparred with them and I went out and next of all every punch they threw I could see coming and I just went bump move my head bump up, up. so next of all I said to myself fuck me I am getting better. Mm -hmm. I could never see myself getting better up the north because they were streets ahead of me. And as I got better, they just up up a notch. But I didn't know that I was getting better. But when I came down and started fighting against the people who I normally would have, the amateur boxers, then suddenly I realized, hey, look, listen, I'm able to I'm able to do ten times better now than I was doing before. Yes, yes. So psychologically, then when I went back with the Belfast the next day, spar, I said, I'm better now. You know what I mean? And just, it, it no, sort of brilliant. made me, you know, I, it, it just made me realise that, listen, I am getting better. So then I would have been able to spar a little bit better against the lads up there, you know, because exactly. you know you're, you know that you're learning and you know that you're improving and you're learning things. Yeah. Well, I was I was actually talking to my dad about you, you know, about I was wanting to do the podcast with him when he, he says about, I remember sparring with him and he says, one tough man. He says he was a tough Yeah, I mean, Like you're saying that maybe you felt that oh, they were, they could go through gears. But I remember my dad saying, no, Jim was a tough man. You had to be on your game with him. You know, he could tell straight away you were very tough and you'd, you'd be difficult to beat as you went through your career, you know, and obviously you would have been a lot lighter than uh, some of those fighters too. So, yeah, so when I went up and I was inspired, I think your dad was fighting a light heavyweight then. He was, so yeah. when I went up, I was a middleweight in the amateur game, but then I dropped to light middleweight as a pro. So I would have right, been fighting yeah. at 11 stone as opposed to your dad being fighting at 12 and a half stone. So he was a far bigger man. Yeah, but he was great. Your dad was great in the gym, I have to say. Like, because I mean, oh, like, you inspired your dad, like, and he never took, like, he never took liberties. Mm -hmm. You know, like, he, he, he always let you know that he was. He was up there. He's ahead of you. Right. So you know, you, you know. So I mean, like, look, he was just better than you. 
you know, when you're starting off, yeah, of course. you know, he's a seasoned pro, um, and and he had that stamina that we wouldn't have had because amateur stamina is no good, yeah, as a pro, because you're knackered after two rounds, especially yeah, yeah. especially in the heat in in Barney Eastwood's gymnasium. Oh, I, yeah, God, like a sauna. So, oh, it's like so it's 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 strength sapping, you know, that mm. heat. But uh, but you just learn to sort of acclimatize yourself to that, and you learn to you learn the little moves and the little tricks. I mean, everyone in the gym, whether it be John Lowy, Santo Espana, Oscar Cheke, your dad, Danny Juma, you know, they all gave you little tips. So we all, you know, like we're all on the same side, and that's the <laughs> thing. Of, that's the thing about boxing. I mean, everyone is there to help each other. And there's none of this ripping the back out of people or like that that you get in other sports. You look yeah, at a football course, yeah. team, like and half them hate each other. You know what I mean? They play yeah, against each other. Well. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Or they're jealous because one of them is on, you know, five grand a week and he's only on a grand a week. Yeah. But boxers like, you know, we look at let's say, you know, fighters that are getting a couple of hundred grand because they're fighting for world titles and you're getting a couple of hundred euro because you're on the bottom of the bill. But there's no animosity like that between no. boxers. We just you've learned, you've learned to help each other. Yeah, that's it, you know? Yeah, of course. And so, listen, if we bring it to, I suppose, your professional debut then, so you were saying, funnily enough, when I put this out, I'll, I think it'll actually be on that anniversary, the 25th of November. So that'll be amazing. Um, That was your debut. And it was was it on Steve Collins' Cornelius Carr, big world title bill? It was, yeah. How was so, that experience? <laughs> well, like, we were training. So myself and Eamon, we turned pro, I think, in about, June mm-hmm. 1995 so um, we never had any concrete fight date coming up so the 25th of November was the Saturday night on that Tuesday so the Tuesday before it Mike Callahan done a deal with Frank Warren to get us on the bill okay. so really that close that close so that's we got on the bill with four days notice um, so we went down to fight we had the weigh in in Dublin in the uh, Paris Court uh, shopping centre. Um, it's just off Grafton Street. And um, I think I weighed 10 stone 13, um, which was quite light. Yeah. But, you know, like a championship. Um, yeah. And um, so everyone was getting, so on the bill was obviously Collins. You had Michael Crute, who was chief support. You had. Mark Winters, you had Jim Webb, you had Danny Ryan, you had Pascal Collins. Right. They were all Frank Warren fighters. Okay. Right. So the likes of Winters and um Winters, Danny Ryan, Jim Webb, I no, I'm not I, I'm not exactly sure, but I think they were getting three grand sterling for the fight. Don't know what Carruth was getting. He was chief support. He was getting a lot more. And Collins, obviously. Yeah. Um, we got me and Eamon got 750 Irish pounds. Right. Right. Your debut. And listen, the <laughs> deductions. What? Is deductions to come out of this? No, there's no deductions. Oh, uh, that's not think, too bad. <laughs> no, don't there's any deductions because Mike Callahan never took any money off us. Um, and I don't know whether John Breen, I don't even think John Breen took the 10% at that time. I don't right, know. If he, yeah. I don't know if he did or not. But I mean, like, for me, like, 750 quid, I was delighted. You were happy about so it? Had, I had years of fighting on the streets that I wasn't getting any money for. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And yeah, all yeah. of a sudden, I'm getting paid 
I'm fighting in the point depot on a world title bill. Like, I mean, it's just mm. to me, it's like it's it, it was a dream come true. Like, it was just, and a, again, it was a sort of a thing, like, you know, like I've made something, yeah, I've made something of myself, you know, I've made me like. I've made my family proud. You know what I mean? Of course. You know, I, 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 I've also shown them fuckers, you know, who were some of the teachers in school, the police, the prison officers that loved to remind you that you'd never do that. And, you know, well, look at me now. Years, I'm after <laughs> doing something. You yeah, know what I mean? Um, so, and I remember I, um, at the time, there's a journalist called Paul Howard. He does all the Russell Kelly. Carol, okay. books and all that. He's yeah. a good friend of mine. But he done a big article on me for Tournament Pro. And I came down one time from Belfast. I used to train in Belfast Monday to Friday and come home, let's say, the weekend, back down to South. And the the my old principal from my school had sent the article, um, a copy of it, to my house with a letter saying, oh, congratulations and all that. And I remember my dad said, my dad came in, he said, here, the letter came for you. And they obviously opened it. <laughs> so that's what my dad used to do. <laughs> but uh, now that I think of it. So he said, this art, look, he's at the send of that article down here in the post. I said, oh, yeah. He said, that's that print. I said, oh. he said, well, I send it back. It's time to fuck off. <laughs> I said, no, don't do that. I said, do you know what I mean? But <laughs> All he the times he was ringing the house complaining about you. <laughs> oh, listen, of course. You know what I mean? So, um, but... <laughs> But we fought in the point anyway. But I remember all them, like, Eamon. So Eamon McGee and Mark Winters, Danny Ryan, Jim Webb. And all, they were all fighting fellas that had, let's say, 10 fights, three wins. You know what I mean? Yeah. Seven losses. Uh, your first or, fight, usually, you would get looked after. Yeah. So there's me. So I'm fighting a fella. Four fights, three wins, one draw. Undefeated right? fighter, right? Undefeated. Okay. So I'm saying to myself, you know, we get to and I'm saying to myself, why am I fighting an undefeated? Like, how? Why am I fighting an undefeated fire? Everyone else is getting a fella that like they, they just dug some of them up out of graveyard the day before for some of yeah. them, you know. So I mean, like they were getting stiffs, and I was in against an undefeated, and I and I and I couldn't understand why, you know what I mean? And I was not that I was worried about it, but I was it registered I with me, joke, of course, yeah. And I said, like, like I'm fighting here in Dublin, like, and like in my home city, I'm like, I'm fighting against an unbeaten fire, but I knew I was super fit. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. And I knew I was strong, so I went there. I banjoed them anyway. Oh, like, right. I, okay. I think I put them. I put them down in the fourth round, and I wasn't a big puncher. I was never a big puncher, but all of a sudden, when I turned pro, I was putting fellas down. I wasn't knocking them out. But I was putting them down. Yeah, you were punching. Obviously, you you punched hard enough to gain respect, and the knew not to take any yeah. liberties. You know, so um, um, but I, I like, Eamon was the very first fight that night. So he was on about six o'clock. So when I came to the main fight was on, and next of all, uh, the main fight was the chief support was on, and next of all, they came in and said, "Right, get gloves up. You're going to win as a swing belt just before Collins." Right, so you were like a floater. But, they could put yeah. you on anywhere. Yeah, so I put the gloves on and then they come in and they just said, oh, we don't know if there'd be enough time. So they left me there and then I went on last instead. Oh, so I went on. I was about to say, if you went on last. right before Collins, the crowd, no, you would have got a huge crowd. Oh, and it would have been live on, on Sky Sports as well. Right. 
And like, did the I whole place did the whole place clear out after Collins won? Did or was there decent? Well, traffic? I mean, like, I think there's about six thousand people there, seven thousand people there. So about five hundred people stayed. Oh, oh no, a good lot stayed yeah, to, yeah. to see my debut, which was grand. And um, you know, like I had a good fight, so that was it was smashing. You know what I mean? So it was yeah. a great start. And Brilliant. then, uh, and then my next fight then was Collins. Collins on the card again when he was fighting in Mill Street against Neville Brown. Oh, right. Okay. God, the first two fights then. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And um, that fight, I fought a fella who had fought Danny Ryan. Um, I think he was ranked number 24 in Britain or something. And he was a middleweight again. And I was right. a light middleweight. And I, I think I dropped him twice, but didn't stop him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, but I suddenly started saying, Jesus, you know, I never put people down, especially when I was an amateur. Yeah, I stopped a few people. I did drop a few people, but not like two fights in a row like this. No. And it was, I think it was because I had moved down to like middleweight. Obviously, I was because I was training under John Brain and training religiously. I mean, my punches, although they weren't knockout punches, but they were hard mm-hmm. and they were effective and they were fast. So it was a culmination of yeah, everything. Of course, yeah. Why they went down, you know what I mean? Yeah. So early in the career as well, because I'm trying to I'm trying to work this out with Eamon's as well. Eamon, after a few fights, went to America, and that's when he lost his unbeaten record. Around that time, were you to go on a trip to America? And did something happen? I think maybe I had heard something on a different podcast about that. No. Well, I tell you what happened. So me and Eamon, obviously, we fought on the same bill starting off, right? So we had our first two fights on Collins' card. Then we switched to um, Barry Hearn. Yes. Um, we were fighting on the undercard of Darren Corbett then. Yes, that's right. Uh, around 97, so I, that's right. So there was a couple of times there was fights on in Dublin. I think Wayne McCullough fought in Dublin one time. And someone and there was another fight I was offering in Dublin. And I said to Mike Callahan, I said to him, look at it. I said, you know, it's fights coming up here. And he said, no. He said, you and I, McGee, trained together, signed on together. Um, if McGee's not in the bill, you're not in the bill. He's a fighting together. Right, right, fair okay. enough. Then. Okay, that's grand. So then, hence, Eamon gets a chance to go to America. Um, they go to America to yes, fight. Yes, that's, that's what it was, yes. Right. Yeah. So then, so I'm sort of sitting there and I'm saying to myself, yeah, so I'm not allowed to fight in Dublin or my hometown because, you know, I have to wait. Because if Eamon's not on it, I'm not allowed on it. But yeah, Eamon's allowed to go to America. And like, fuck rock, it doesn't matter. Yeah, so okay, like, yeah. I thought it got to be in my bonnet, you know what I mean? And um, I'd been speaking to Roddy Collins. And he had said to me, Jim, why don't you sign with Frank? Frank? I was talking to Frank Warren about you. He'd love to have you and bloody well. So when they went to America, I went over to London. And... I signed Frank Warren. Okay. So, um, and he, he said to me, look, you should start training in Brendan Ingalls' gym. But of course, I was like, I was very loyal to John Breen. And I mean, mm. John Breen to this day, I mean, he's a very good friend of mine and he's yeah. just, you know, I always say John Breen is too nice to be in the pro game. Okay. And, and I mean that from a real, like, just like, Sometimes he's been walked over by, by some yeah. fighters. Yeah, he had um, to have a bit of a street, yeah ruthless streak. He, at times. he didn't have he didn't have that ruthless streak in him. You know what I mean? Like he's just 
like just such a nice man, but yeah. maybe a bit too soft sometimes for the fighters. Like he would just take people's word instead of getting them to sign a contract. Right. And I mean, like, you know, yeah, that can come back now, to bite you. Yeah, now again, Mike Callahan never got me to sign a contract. And then okay. I left, I went to Frank Warren. Then yeah. you know what I mean? So I worked which, out for which, you, wasn't, yeah. which wasn't very nice for him. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a nice thing to do with him, but at the time I thought that well, you going off to America and not bringing me along wasn't yeah. nice either. You know, yeah, you have to look after yourself, I suppose, you know, to your career <laughs> yeah. at the end of the day. So um so they went over there. I went to sign up with Warren and I um what I do is I would train in Belfast with John Breen and then I just go to Sheffield for a week or two before the fight. Right. So you know what I mean? And then what would happen is I'd fight and I'd give me ten percent to Brendan Ingle. But I also gave ten percent to John Breen. Did you really, Jim? Right. Oh, okay. I did. Oh, so of you course. You, you really were loyal to do that then, because you didn't. Oh no. You no. Know. Because, but like John Breen was doing all the work. Right. So he was doing, he was doing more work than Brendan. Because how did you how did you find it? Because like the Brendan Ingle style, it's that real unorthodox switch hitting. That doesn't to me seem like yours type of style. How did you find? Did he try to change you when he was over there? Or? Well, I remember going over there and um, like. Like, like fellas, let's say they're eight stone sparred against fellas who are 16 stone because it's all switch hitting. This, this could be six different couples in the ring and you're moving about. Not, right. But I mean, like, I remember going in that force and boy, Jesus, you felt like a gobshite. <laughs> so they had us going up and down these lines, switch hitting and switching stance and all that. But I mean, like, the kids over there are all doing it since they're. Six yeah. years of age. It's all second nature to them. So you get a fella coming over who's 25 years of age, who's an orthodox boxer, who does the jab for us in the right hand, blah, blah. Eh. All of a sudden, you've got to do this and you feel like a complete gobshite. Because yeah. you're, like, you're seeing what you should do and you're seeing everyone else doing it and they're telling you what to do, but your brain won't allow your body to do it because yeah. you're boxing this way for... 15, 16 years. Of course, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, I thought of, again, it's like, it's like I said earlier on about when you were, um, when I was training in the pro gym and then came back down to my old amateur gym and seeing how, how good I was at getting. So, I was in, uh, Ingalls gym, I was doing that, I was sparring all the time and you'd be sparring like, you know, like, so I would have sparred, you know, Prince Nassim Hammond. I would have sparred, yeah, I would have sparred Junior Witter. I would have sparred Pele Reid, a heavyweight. Yes. I would have sparred Johnny Nelson. I would have sparred Buster Keaton. Everyone spars everyone because it's right. only body sparring. Okay. Now, the thing with body sparring is you're only protecting your body because you know the digs are only coming, there's no digs coming to your head. Yeah. So I think that it, it, it can get you into a bad habit of dropping your hands for yeah, a start. Yeah, of course. Because you're not being um, punished, you know, making a mistake yeah. as much. But again, I never saw myself getting better in their style. But then I remember I was over there one stage, came home, sparring with, with the likes of Eamon and that, sparring them. My footwork was very, just got so much better right. from being over there. And then, of course, I started to switch hit just the odd time to Bob. So they wouldn't be expecting that from me. Oh, did you do that? Right. Okay. Very good. I just in sparring. I never yeah, really done it in fighting, you know. <laughs> but you just do it and blah blah and uh, so like you did learn and, and this is the thing about boxing and I always tell 
like my young girl, my youngest girl now fights in that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I always tell her, you know, every single trainer would teach you something different. I said, no, it may not suit you, but if you go to somebody's gymnasium and they're giving you their time and they're telling you this, then you, I said, you try it, you work on it. I said, it may not suit you, but you might find one part of it that does suit you. Yeah. And then you keep that. So you try 10 things, one thing works for you. Add that to your arsenal. Add that, then someone else will teach you something else. And then over the course of years, you you get things to suit you. No, that's good you know, definitely. Um, and, and that's the way it was. I sort of, I, I was learning over there. Again, you know, it's like every day is the school day, you know? Yeah, of course. But, but um, you know, I was never a big fan of the Brendan Ingle style fighting, but I was a very big fan of Brendan Ingle. Yeah, okay, yeah. What a character. Because, yeah. because like, like, he was from Dublin. Um, he, he, The gymnasium over there, like, they'd be all sparring, and all of a sudden he just stopped the sparring. He'd get one of the young up into the ring, start asking them questions about their name, address, would you? Then he'd have them sing a song in front of everyone. And I used to look at them like that, like, look, you'd be thinking they're a bit mad, you know. But his thing, and that was, he used to get troubled kids in. So kids from, let's say, you know, maybe um, broken down homes, um, no money, maybe get into kids that were in trouble and all that. Kids with no confidence. And he'd, he'd give them life skills. Yeah. And he'd, he'd instill confidence in them. He'd know that, like, if he got these shy kids in, have them boxing, have them singing at the top of their voice in front of a, a load of strangers in the gymnasium, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it was like um, nursery. He used to get them, like, nursery rhymes and stuff, really. Things yeah, that would yeah. He used <laughs> to get them all sorts of things. You know, but, uh, like, 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 some people might say he was mad. Yeah, but here... But, but in a good way, you know what I mean? And, yeah. like, um, I remember them... So I... Trained over there for a while. I had a couple of fights over there, and uh, but about I don't know how long he's dead now. But I went to England a few about ten or twelve years ago, and I bought a car in Scotland or some of that. And I said I'll drive down to or maybe Manchester, and I, I'm driving it down to uh, Hollyhead. Mm -hmm. So just on the way down, I said I have a bit of time to call it to Brendan Ingle. So I called into the gym, and they said in the gym, no, Jim, he's over in the house. So he lived facing the gym, you know. Right. Went over to the house in. He said, the minute the door opened, I smelled the grub, you know. And uh, I said, oh, Jim, come on in. So he shouts to his wife. Eh, his wife is bringing out his dinner. He says, eh, split that, he says, and give Jim a big plate oh, of dinner. Right. Dessert. Lovely, isn't it? Like, lovely. Just, no, that close. was the last time I seen him, you know what I mean? And well, like, that's a nice you know, memory to have, you know, the last ah, time you've seen him. Great fella, great fella, oh, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but the style didn't suit me, you know. No, no. Um, I remember one day I, I was sparring against Junior Witter. And uh, so the next day I came in and next of all, one of the lads, I don't know who said to me, Johnny Nelson or something said to me, I'm your right. as a black eye, you know. I said, fucking Witter. I said, you know, left fly one of his um, punches by accident, I said. So uh, that was grand. The next day we're sparring and I went to kill him. Right. So, so because he hit me a day, he gave me a black eye. So, uh, after the spar, Dominic Ingle says to me, he says, you know, Rock, he says, you're, you're an animal. 
That's what he said. No. And to me, that was a to me that was a compliment. That's it. You take that as a compliment you know, all day long. And I was talking to Junior there, ah, maybe two years ago or something like that. And I was telling the story to him because Junior went. Junior came over to spar someone in Belfast. It was either Sinclair or Mark Winters or one of them. He came over one of the times, and uh, um, nice fella. But I was telling him the story. I said. I said, brother, he said, Jim, I was always wondering why you went to kill me that day. He said, I, could, I, I never knew. So he only knew about 10 years later. Right, okay. I told he him, did, I said, He wrecked the good looks, that's what was wrong. Yeah, he, <laughs> he knew that I'd gone out to kill him at the banjo him, but he was wondering, he, he wondered why, but it, that's why it was, because he, he, he gave me a dig. You're supposed to be body sparred and then you come out with a black eye. Yeah, no, that's 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 not body sparred anyway. Well, listen, uh, something else just, just came into my head. I want to ask you, um, the Pink Panther. How did that come about? Because I remember as a kid watching the dad fight when he made a comeback around 97 and I remember being at the Ulster Hall and you coming out to the Pink Panther music with the shorts and all the, the, the blonde hair. I mean, it was a great gimmick, great look. How did that come about? So, again, Mike Callahan. Right. So, myself and Eamon McGee, we had our first two fights, like I said, in uh, Dublin and Mill Street. So then we're fighting in, um, I think it's September 2006, or 1996 um, on Darren Corbettville in, in the Ulster Hall and Mike says look we'll get you your gear made new gear made you know what I mean so my first two fights I fought in white shorts which were Eamon McGee gave me the shorts right and he, and he gave me me boots that I had for them first two fights it's as really well really very good yeah so um, so Eamon's obviously, yeah, I'll get the green, white, and orange. So he said, Me, what color shorts? I said, I love pink. So he thought I was messing. Yeah. He said, No, seriously. He says, I said, No, no, I said, I love pink. No, I love pink. I always yeah. wore, I always wore pink. And I still wear pink shorts and all that when yeah. I'm going out and blah, blah. Like, I love, I genuinely like the color. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I'm sitting here in my office. I have pink blinds. Right. Okay. Um, my name on my garage outside of Jim Rock Motors is in pink right. Is it right? Brilliant. Yeah, you know, I've actually seen your website and I thought there was a bit of pink in the website as well. Oh, it is. <laughs> I mean, like, the stickers on the back of my cars are in pink. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. You know, so I mean, like, it, it certainly wasn't a gimmick. You know, as people think it's a gimmick. Yeah. It wasn't a gimmick because I genuinely, I mean, I think I was 12 years of age and I got a BMX for Christmas. It was black. And I left it out to a mate of mine and he sprayed the pink for me right, back okay. then. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now, back then it was called, they used to say they were radical colors, you know, because mm -hmm. all the BMX people had yellows and pinks and all, you know what I mean? But like, I pink for me, you know? Um, so I always, uh, I always had a, a fondness for the color. Um, I know, and I also knew that sometimes you got ridiculed over it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I remember when we turned pro, or when, when I got me pink gear and Mike Callahan, like Mike Callahan was, he was I'm always a man for thinking up stories and thinking of sort of gimmicks and yeah. stuff to attract the, the press and so on. So he said to me, um, when I got the pink gear, he said, listen, will we, will we mark you, he says, as a, as a gay, as a gay boxer? Really? <laughs> so I said, no, Mike. He said, no, fucking way will you do that do you know what I mean <laughs> he, said, he said no but he said it'd be great I said Mike it'll listen. be great <laughs> I said there's nobody will believe that I said like I said I'm I was only 23 I said like I have four kids I said as there is 
It's a reputation. I said, people there's, not a, it. there's not a hope that people will believe that I'm gay. I said, you know what I mean? So, uh, so that was that. So, uh, that's how the Pink Panther came about. I've always wondered about that, but I, I can't believe that that's what he put forward. Oh, he really put that forward. And again, like, you know, with Mike, with Mike, like, he always had these little things that you'd, ideas for the press yeah. and all that. And you'd go along with 99% of them. But, but that you was, knocked that one back. That was the 1%. I said, no, Mike, definitely not that one. Okay, everyone. So I'm going to stop it there for the end of part one. Um, such a random place to stop i know at the end of that story but um it sort of stops uh just before jim's going to get into talking about the title fights that he had in his career but um yeah brilliant i i really enjoyed that first half myself when i was chatting to jim live at the time and some really funny stories especially that end one there i had to try and keep my composure when he told me that because i couldn't believe that that idea was put forward and you know his response to it was brilliant so uh yeah next time everyone next week we'll get into the title fights and jim will take us right through to the end of his career which went on you know jim had a really long career and very successful so we'll listen to all that um and then find out exactly how he's doing now obviously with a lot of interest outside of the ring as well so yeah i hope you all enjoyed part one everyone tune in next week and please you know share it comment far and wide just to get jim's story out there until next time guys all the best